Hello and welcome to the week one edition of Spitball for the 2013 season. I am your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows. Unfortunately, my usual co-hosts, Marcus Innuendo Henson and Harry Statatak Staszewski are unable to join me this week due to work commitments, so I'm left feeling a little lonely. But as they say, So let us start with some things that caught my eye this week, starting with the number of safeties scored in the first 10 minutes of play on Sunday. For those new to the sport, here is the definition of a safety score. The important factor in a safety is impetus. Two points are scored for the opposing team when the ball is dead on or behind a team's own goal line if the impetus came from a player on that team. Examples of a safety are a blocked punt that goes out of the kicking team's end zone. Impetus was provided by punting team. The block only changes direction of ball, not impetus. If the ball carrier retreats from the field of play, into his own end zone and is downed. Ball carrier provides impetus. Offensive team commits a foul and spot of enforcement is behind its own goal line. Player on receiving team muffs punt and trying to get ball, forces or illegally kicks, creating new impetus, it into the end zone where it goes out of the end zone or is recovered by a member of the receiving team in the end zone. Some brief examples of a non-safety are a player intercepting a pass with both feet inbounds in the field of play and his momentum carries him into his own end zone. Ball is put in play at spot of interception. If the player intercepts a pass in his own end zone and is downed in the end zone, even after recovering in the end zone, impetus came from the passing team, not the defence, and is therefore a touchback. And finally, if the player passes from behind his own goal line, opponent bats ball down in end zone, it's an incomplete pass. Now with the rather long-winded explanation out of the way, we move on to the three instances of a safety this week. The first being a total schoolboy error by the Titans returner Darius Renard, who in gathering the ball outside of the end zone, we're talking a, a matter of inches here, standing in the end zone, reaches out to grab the ball, not realising what he's done, then takes a kneel down in the end zone and is surprised to see the referee signal a safety. My boy, you need to learn the rules of the game. Very unfortunate what happened, but you're a professional. I think really uh, we should know better. The next one to happen was in the Kansas versus Jacksonville match. Um, it was more of a traditional pump block, which was then forced out of the end zone. And uh, finally, in the uh, Tampa Bay versus the New York Jets game, we had Josh Freeman being sacked in the end zone and fumbling it out the back of the end zone. Now, why am I talking about safeties at the start of the podcast, I hear you ask? Well, the reason for that is safeties just genuinely aren't that common. So for the season to start off with three safeties in the space of 10 minutes, just simply amazing. As I'm on my lonesome this week, starting to get you feeling sorry for me, I hope already, um, I have asked a few of the regular listeners to provide some questions for a little Q&A session with the Bullhawk. First up, we have uh, Simon French who asks, This week, why did Eli Manning play like Tony Romo and vice versa? Well, when I looked at the stats for this one, for me, I'm afraid so, Manning looked like he had his usual game of uh, touchdown to interception ratios with... uh, 
four touchdowns and, and, and three interceptions. However, as far as Romo is concerned, when I looked at his stats, now bear in mind the Cowboys defense generated six turnovers off the Giants offense. For Romo to only have sort of just over 200 yards passing um, and a couple of touchdowns, I don't think really is that impressive. He's still got a long way to go in my eyes. And um, yeah, two scores from the defense as well in that game. And uh, when you turn the ball six times over, you uh, you expect to lose the game there. So we'll wait and see how things go and, uh, and pan out for the rest of the season there, I think, uh, Si. So uh, hopefully that, that answers that one for you, my friend. Next, we have a question from uh, Mike Austin, or as he is known in the Spartans. Sunshine! Uh, he asks, with none of the AFC North teams winning in Week 1, who do I think will top the division this year? Well, despite the fact that none of the teams won and the fact that in our last podcast I predicted Baltimore would probably have a 6-10 and 10 record, I have to say that of all the teams in the North, Baltimore probably are still the strongest despite a weak side and I think I can see them coming on top of the division this year even if they only win the AFC North with an 8-8 eight and eight record. It's going to be very scrappy, very messy. The games between them will definitely determine where that division goes this year and um, so I, I really don't see anyone other than Baltimore coming out of that division because uh, Pittsburgh looked dire against Tennessee just don't, don't know what was going on there Cleveland well Whedon really isn't the answer to their problems the guy throws a lot of picks he's really similar to Eli Manning I think in that respect so um, the only good thing in Cleveland is is Trent Richardson who's a hell of a running back and um, and some key players they've got on on defence like uh, Paul Kruger but um, yeah I think we're going to stick with the Ravens winning that division this uh, leads me into the next question from Mr Innuendo himself young Marcus uh, wanted to get a piece of the uh, Q&A with the Bullhawk even though he gets to do it every week but uh, here's what he has to say it's given that uh, all four teams in the AFC North lost this week is it the weakest division in football? Well, I think you have to say, based on this week's performance, this year the AFC North will be the weakest division in football. Not always the weakest division in football. I think it's hard to argue a case that that it is the weakest division in football. But certainly, for this season alone, there's not going to be many uh, winning records, as I say, coming out of that division at all. So, uh, for this year... Congratulations, AFC North, on being the weakest division in the NFL. He's also got a couple more questions for me. What was the upset of week one? And which non-playoff team from last year has the best shot of getting there? Well, one of those questions is going to be really easy to answer, and that is, team who's going to make the playoffs this year that didn't last year? New Orleans Saints. It's a given. Sean Payton's back in town. That team's going to be firing on all cylinders. They're going to drag the defence from the depths that it suffered last year. Um, even though they've got Rob Ryan as a defensive coordinator who I don't really have that high an opinion of. I think Sean Payton there is a massive effect. And with Drew Brees as well, you can never write out the Saints. And they're going to drastically improve their 7-9 and nine record from last year. As they showed um, when they beat Atlanta this week. The upset of Week 1 though... Um, had to have a bit of a think about this one. We're going with, though, the game between the Jets and the Buccaneers, purely because the way the game was ebbing and flowing between the Bucks and the Jets, going into the last minutes of the fourth quarter, Bucks drive down the length of the field, kick field goal, Ryan Lindell, X-Bill. I think everything's all hunky-dory, everything's going well. 
but alas, they gave the Jets too much time, and uh, Gino took the, uh, the Jets the length of the field and managed to get Falk to kick the winning field goal with just seconds left on the clock. Uh, I think it was about five seconds left on the clock, and despite the special teams from the Bucks' best efforts and a sneaky handoff to Doug Martin, who then took the ball the best part of 50-60 yards and very, very nearly uh, made it in for a score, um, that for me was the upset of week one. Finally, we finished the Q&A with questions from the Spartan Zone, Wolf O'Neill, and he asks, One. Do the Eagles have what it takes to have a comeback here? And two. Can the Redskins succeed without the read option like the 49ers have shown they can? Okay, so, number one. The Eagles, they have a new head coach this year in uh, in Chip. I won't leave OKO okay, Will Kelly. And he will have a good start to the season, I think. But come November, when the game starts to take a toll on the players, that de- already depleted receiving core starts to take a few hits. Um, I think they're going to start uh, running out of victories and they'll just uh, patter away towards the end of the season. With regards to the Redskins, there is definitely a lot more to RG3 than just his scrambling and read option ability. You only have to look at last year. I mean, RG3 maybe didn't get the credit for this, but he is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league. When you look at his stats in terms of completion, he had a 65.6% completion percentage. In all of his games last year, he only threw five interceptions. There weren't many other quarterbacks that threw that few interceptions last year. And uh, also his quarterback rating was 102.4. So I think it's a little bit too early to maybe think of him as a one-trick pony. I think keep an eye on the Redskins. Again, despite their loss to the Eagles, they're going to show their character. They've got great defence, great offence led by RG3. Mike Shanahan as a coach, I think... The important game in the NFC East is definitely going to boil down to Week 17 where we have New York Giants against the Washington Redskins. It's going to be an absolute monster of a game and um, I can't wait to see it, to be honest. Takes the snap, back the throw. Here's the it's going to be sacked. Now we look ahead to the uh, Week 2 matches and... Uh, the first game that sticks out straight away for me in uh, week two is going to be the New York Giants versus Denver Broncos, aka the Manning Yep, that's right. It's that time of the year for Peyton versus Eli, the matchup of the year. Well, it certainly is in there. And a few eyes around here, including young uh, Mickey Hogg. But uh, there we go. We're even going to be reenacting that on uh, Madden on Friday, so we'll see who comes out on top on that one. Of course, it's made uh, slightly more intriguing with um, how the teams performed last week, with the Giants having their six turnovers and uh, Peyton Manning throwing for over seven, well, throwing seven touchdowns. So, should be a great game. Wait and see who comes out on top of that one. Another match to watch out for is definitely the NFC West clash between Seattle and San Francisco on Sunday night. Can Seattle bounce back from their poor performance in Week One? I mean, they may have won, but let's face it, that performance against Carolina was dire and uh, they really need to step up their game if they're going to beat that San Francisco side that uh, took out Green Bay. Had a great performance. The San Francisco D looks very, very strong, as always, and it's going to be very hard for Seattle to, to come out of that one if they play anything like they did this week. Normally now, I would have the weekly awards. This week... I'm going to let you check those out on my blog to find out 
who the impact players of the week are, aka the Megatron and Mr. Ray Lewis award winners. Finally, I would like to finish off by talking about the NFL in the UK this year. Um, not only do we have two games at Wembley, uh, two international series matches for the first time ever. Um, this is its seventh year that we've got the international series, but we also have a fan event coming up in Regent Street on the 28th of September, which I strongly urge all fans to get out to. Um, it's going to be a chance to potentially meet and greet some players. There'll be uh, players off the Vikings and Steelers squads present. Just a great atmosphere. It's going to be like a little street carnival. Uh, it's free entrance, and um, basically it's going to run from about 12 till till 6 at night. So really get down there and get a chance, and uh, maybe you'll even see me there if you... Uh, if you do attend so look forward to meeting some of you finally um, with the NFL in the UK we also now have every single game available on TV so we have Thursday night football on Sky Sports we have the two uh, two games on a Sunday afternoon again through Sky Sports with the option of selecting NFL Red Zone which is a great way to watch the NFL if you're a hardcore fan like myself and you're bored of just watching the standard game because you you know you think well it takes a lot to get you into a game then watch NFL Red Zone it just comes at you at like 500 mile an hour you're always in every single game when one game goes to a break they flip you to another game when any game or team is within the red zone it comes up on the screen to a point where you even have a, a quad box on screen so you get like four games on the screen at once just a fantastic way to watch the week's action we have the Sunday night game uh, live on Channel 4 and now we also have, for the next two years certainly at least, on British Eurosport, we have Monday Night Football. So really it's a great time to be an NFL fan in the UK. You're getting all of the action, we're getting fan events, we're getting live games, regular season games at Wembley. Just think, the organisers, Mr Kirkwood at NFL UK and everyone involved really doing such a great job. Wish they keep up the great work and um, yeah, keep the NFL coming. Let's see what happens in the future. Right, well that just about wraps it up from me for this week. Apologies for the shorter podcast this week, but I'm sure you obviously didn't want to hear me waffle on for too long. So next week I will have at least one of my regular co-hosts back. Who will it be? There's only one way to find out. So until then, take care and stay safe football fans. (laughs) 